So what I would like to do to kick things off is to ask a question. If someone were to ask you a question guaranteed to get you to talking, what would that question be? I'll say it again. If someone were to ask you a question guaranteed to get you to talking, what would that question be? Or to put it another way, if someone were to bring up a particular subject or topic guaranteed to get you talking, what subject or topic would that be? So something to think about. Now, as I thought about that question, I thought, you know what? There are three basic groups or, or different types of people. There's a continuum that starts on extroverts, and we know who those people are. They're the ones who come into the room. The light gets a little bit brighter. The angels start singing. Everyone gathers around them, right? They're the extroverts. You don't have to ask them anything. They're going to start talking. And on the other end of that spectrum, you have the introverts. I know a few introverts. I'm married to an introvert. And she is wonderfully introverted. I would not have her any other way. And I love her for it. I know there are other people who are introverts. And by the way, when I was looking this up, I discovered, you may know this, but some of the greatest preachers and public speakers ever known are introverts. I never knew that. And I think we have one in this church. And then, of course, you have the ambiverts, pretty much everyone in between. Maybe they're a little bit extroverted, a little bit introverted. So really, what am I getting at? Whether you're an extrovert, introvert, ambivert, wherever you are on that continuum, you have value in the kingdom of God. We don't try to make people an extrovert. We don't try to make them a little less extroverted so they can be effective in the kingdom of God, right? People are who they are, and we use their talents and their abilities and their skills. And so I wanted to just kind of throw this out there to get you thinking first off. And uh, so as we go through this lesson tonight, I would like you to consider where you are and where other people you come in contact with may be. Well, first thing I'd like to do is thank Pastor Hughes for allowing me to have the opportunity to teach this lesson tonight. It's, you know, it's no small thing to, to teach from this pulpit, and I don't take it lightly. So thank you. First thing I'd like to do is, is open up in prayer. Would you pray with me? Oh, God, I pray that we would all desire a deeper understanding of your word Lord, anoint our minds. Illuminate your word tonight, God. May we desire a deeper appreciation of your nature and your character. God, let your spirit teach and lead us into all truth. God, I pray that we leave here tonight with greater knowledge about what you require of us. Lead, guide, and direct us. And all that is said tonight, Lord, God, I ask that you would anoint these lips of clay to your honor and to your glory in the precious name that is above all names, that name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, many of you are familiar with the story 
of the Samaritan woman. So our passage tonight is going to start in John chapter 4, verse 4. So this Samaritan woman had an encounter with Jesus at the well. Many of you are familiar with the story. And for time's sake tonight, I'm not going to read all of the verses, but you can certainly follow along. I'm going to present key elements of this powerful story, a story that's going to give us the foundation for what I'm going to talk about tonight. You know, the Gospel of John, is a, it's a unique book, and you've heard that said before, I'm sure. You have Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They're the synoptic Gospels, and, and then there's John. But what's different about the book of John? Well, it's not just a historical representation of who Jesus was, although that seems to be apparent. John is essentially a book that was written last. It was the last book written somewhere between 100 and 107 A.D. And every chapter is essentially... A revela- if you read the book of John, you'll understand that every chapter is essentially a revelation of the deity of Jesus Christ. It is an amazing. And, and I encourage you, if you're looking for a book to study, to do an in-depth study on, that would be a good one to start with. So our journey tonight begins in verse 4. By the time we get to chapter 4, verse 4, Jesus has left Judea. He's traveling north to the region of Galilee, which is about, in total, an 80-mile journey. About 20 miles into that journey, Jesus reached his appointed place. He was getting tired. Well, and, and another thing about this journey is you think of you know traveling that far, that it's just a long, straight, level road. No, Jesus had to travel. The elevation change was so significant that it was very difficult to travel down this road. And so he stops at the appointed place, which is the water well, known as Jacob's well, around midday. And it's there near the well, near Samaria, called Sychar. It's around midday. It's hot. So he encounters this Samaritan woman. Now, prior to this, he had already sent his disciples to get food. And I thought this was interesting. Twelve disciples. I want you to all go get... Now, he didn't say it this way. He, I'm, I'm paraphrasing. But I imagine him telling his disciples to go get food. Did he need all twelve of those disciples to go get meat? No, I don't think he did, but I think he had a purpose in doing that. In fact, the the scripture bears that out. He was there. He was appointed to go there, to this well, to meet this woman. And we're going to talk a little bit about that meeting. So he was very well aware of what was going to happen at the well. This was definitely a divine appointment. This Samaritan woman was drawing water in the middle of the day. And in the middle of the day, it would have been pretty hot. Now, why would she be drawing water in the middle of the day? Might it be that she was trying to avoid the people who knew her or knew of her in her community? You see, she 
had a few husbands. She had five husbands, and she was living with one who was not her husband. And so the people in her community probably viewed her as a harlot. But what many people don't understand is that it was their custom during that time that the father would, would pay for a dowry for the women. And so as bad as it seems, she was probably essentially, let's just look at it this way, her husband's threw her away. And I think, the re- I think by this point, her father was no longer around, so he couldn't help. So I think that the person she was with, the reason she wasn't married to him, was because of all that. Now, she didn't know who Jesus was. She didn't know him, but she knew who she was. And according to Jewish custom... Jews did not associate with Samaritans. But you know what Jesus did? He was appointed to go there. And he spoke to her very kindly and called her woman, which was actually a a high thing. It was a, a, a term of praise to call a woman, woman. And so when he called her woman, that kind of let her guard down. She relaxed. She began to open up to him. You see, she was there to draw physical water. But Jesus already knew that she had a much deeper need. Her soul was parched. Her soul was thirsty. Jesus asked her for a drink. Do you think Jesus really could have got a drink himself? Now, the reason he asked her for a drink was because he wanted to connect with her. He wanted to make a connection. And so he desired that interaction with her and asked her for water. John chapter 4, verse 10. Verse 10 says, Jesus answered her, If you had known the gift of God and who it is who said to you, give me some water to drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. What did Jesus mean when he said living water? What is living water? The Greek word translated means flowing water. Now she thought Jesus was referring to some deep drinkable water, but of course he was talking about the Holy Spirit. Literal well water can quench your thirst for a time, but only Jesus can offer water that gives eternal life. Verse 13 and 14. Jesus replied, everyone who drinks some of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks some of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. But the water that I will give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up to eternal life. Jesus tells her essentially, I have water that will satisfy your soul. Then in verse 18, Jesus tells her of her past five husbands. Now, he didn't do this to dig up her past and throw it in her face. And you're going to find out why he's bringing this up. He tells her of her past five husbands and current living arrangement. By the way, this woman who never had the right of divorce... And, and that was what I was alluding to earlier, is that women did not have the right of divorce back then. 
in Jewish custom. Or, or in, during that time, rather. She really got a bad rap, I believe. So by now, she's perceiving that this man is a prophet. Could he be the promised Messiah who will tell us all things? Now, she was a very perceptive and spiritual woman, actually. Because she's asking him in in verse 26, Jesus, now this is in response to her comment about the coming Messiah, said to her, Jesus said to her, I, the one speaking to you, am he. John 4, 28 through 30, then the woman left her water jar, went off into the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Surely he can't be the Messiah, can he? You see, she, she knew that the Messiah was coming. So they left the town and began coming to him. This woman's powerful encounter with Jesus had left her with such excitement that she left everything behind, including the water. So she went back to the city to tell everyone what had happened. See, at that moment... She really didn't care about her past, what people thought about her past. In fact, she wanted to tell them what he told her of her past. She was excited to tell about the Messiah. He had told her about her past, and she wanted to let everyone know. She wanted them to come and see the Messiah for themselves. John 4.39 says this, Now many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the report of the woman who testified. He told me everything I ever did. What a powerful testimony. She had met the master. She didn't wait to fully understand everything. She wanted to testify of everything that Jesus had told her of herself. Now only God could have known about her past and the intimate details of her heart, everything about her. I mean, a Jewish rabbi just spoke to her, a Samaritan woman. But even better than that, she had an amazing encounter with the Messiah, the Almighty God in the flesh. She had a testimony, and she was called to share it. Well, let's define that word testimony. What does testimony mean? The Latin root for testimony is testis, and it means witness, witness. The Greek word is matira, which also translates witness, evidence, testification, or deposition. Let's go to Mark 16, verses 15 and 16. So what then are we called to do? In verse 15, he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. See, we are called to share our testimony. You've got to understand that your story, your story, could be that story that unlocks someone else's prison door. We all have a story to tell. Do you know that everyone we meet is chosen by God to receive the gospel? If you have been baptized in Jesus' name and receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, you have a story to tell someone else. God can use you 
So by sharing our testimony, we're not only testifying about what Jesus did for us, we're essentially setting the stage or creating an environment for someone to be open to receiving the good news. What does it do? It establishes a connection. In fact, connection is so important that we we have core values, connect, equip, and serve. And it, connecting is so important that it's the first of our three core values at Greater Life Church. And so connecting is so vitally important. Understand that they, the people you speak to, you give your testimony to, they have the same access as you to accompany the Lamb on that day as the called, chosen, and faithful. They have the same access. When someone believes the gospel, something miraculous happens. Something amazing happens. Let's go to verse 16. The one who believes and is baptized will be saved. But the one who does not believe will be condemned. You are called to share your story. Let me ask you, do you think your story has value? Do you think your story has value? Absolutely. Mark 5, 19, verses 19 and 20. But Jesus did not permit him to do so, referring to the man who had been demon-possessed. Instead, he said to him, go to your home and to your people and tell them what the Lord has done for you, that he had mercy on you. So he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis. Now the Decapolis was the, that meant the ten cities or the ten city region in Syria, the Decapolis. He began to proclaim in the Decapolis what Jesus had done for him. And all were amazed. You know, while skeptics may initially be, they might initially resist teaching or preaching, um, but no rational thinking person, in my mind anyway, could or would ever deny the value of your personal experience. You have a personal experience that you can share that nobody could ever say never happened. They can never deny it. They can't say it didn't happen. You have a story that you can share. It doesn't matter if anyone degree, disagrees or doesn't believe you. Sharing your story does what? It gives hope. It edifies. It encourages. It does all of those things. There's value in your story. But here's the challenge. Time Magazine. Health and Neuroscience article dated May 14, 2015 was titled, You Now Have a Shorter Attention Span Than a Goldfish. And that caught my attention, so I read on. The average attention span for the notoriously ill-focused goldfish is nine seconds. But according to a recent study from Microsoft, people now generally lose concentration after eight seconds. Hmm. Highlighting the effects of an increasingly digitalized lifestyle on the brain. Since the year 2000, and since then, we can go back to 2000, that's about when the Smartphones, or at least the flip phones, I think the smartphones came on a little bit later than that. 
Since the year 2000, the average attention span has dropped from 12 seconds to 8 seconds. 8 seconds. So let me ask you this. How long do you have, in light of that, to tell your story? With the improvements in technology, faster speeds, people have become more easily distracted. If you don't think people are easily distracted, just try to have a one-on-one conversation in the middle of a crowded room and see how long it takes before they get pulled away by someone or something else. It happens very quickly. Well, what does this mean for you? It means that you have less time than ever before to share your story. About 25, 30 years ago, I taught people that they had about two minutes. I would teach a two-minute testimony to new converts. And it worked out pretty well then. But I think nowadays, that time is down to about a minute. And you'll find all kinds of stuff out on the Internet about one-minute testimonies and so forth. And it, but it's true. People do not pay attention. They, they, it is just the world we live in now. You still need to capture, it, it's down to one minute, but you still need to capture their attention in about eight seconds, according to the study. Now, if you'll permit me, for those of you who have never shared your testimony, I'd like to share the essential elements of a simple, straightforward testimony. What are the elements of an effective testimony? Think about that for a second. What do I need? What are the elements of a testimony that will get somebody to listen and truly grasp what has happened to me, how my life has changed? So first thing we need to do is we need to ask permission. Just like we need to ask permission before we pray for somebody. You don't just go up and start praying for somebody generally. But we need to ask them permission to share something with them. May I have a quick minute to share with you? Usually they'll say yes. Well, the first thing you want to talk about is without getting into detail, now I had a lot of people want to share their, their life before Christ and they would go into great detail about all the things, all the roads they traveled, all the things they got into. And I said, stop. People understand how bad your life was. If you just give them a little snippet. If you talk about whether you were in alcohol or drugs or whatever your life was before Christ, that's enough. You just need to tell them something like, there was a time in my life when my poor decisions nearly destroyed me. I was completely broken and without hope for a future. Now, something like that is all they need. Maybe you want to throw in something else to kind of tailor it to your story. Well, after that, there's a turning point. Something happens. There's a turning point in your story. And then one day, everything changed for me. When I heard that Jesus died for my sins, I was amazed. You know, I could no longer ignore it. I had to find out more about this Jesus. That is the turning point. And then after that, you had a decision to make, right? Everyone has a decision to make. Since then, I repented of my sins and was baptized in the name of Jesus 
And my life has been full of peace and joy ever since. You know, if it had not been for Jesus, I don't know where I'd be. I'd be a mess. But you know what? He gives me peace. He gives me joy. And I'm never going back to that old life that I lived ever again. And that right there, folks, this is so powerful. Your testimony. Every, you know what? I'll just say this. Every one of you have a testimony. You all have one. You know? Some have, some have a past that you know, it was rough. You know, life was tough. Life happens. And, and we're going to get into a little bit more of that a little bit later. Well, that's it. One minute. You know, if they don't respond right away, and, and sometimes people don't, they don't always respond. You know, well, that's an interesting story, but I'm not interested. Well, that's okay. You know how many other people are out there waiting to hear your story? You just keep obeying the Lord and sharing your story with others. Just keep sharing. Second Peter 3, 9. It says, The Lord is not slow concerning his promise, as some regard slowness, but is being patient toward you, because he does not wish for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Has God been patient with you? Oh, he's been patient with me so many times. I cannot even tell you. There is hope from his story through the sharing of your story. We need to tell about his story because our story is his story. Your story is like a bridge that connects what Jesus has done in your life with what he can do in someone else's life. That's why we share our story. You know, we're in the connecting business. We connect people to God. That's what we should be doing. Romans 1, 15 and 16. Let's go to verse 15 of Romans 1. Thus I am eager also to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and then to the Greek or Gentile. What is this good news that Paul preached? What is the good news? It's the gospel. It's good tidings. It's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He is the one who conquered death and Hades. Revelation 12, 11 says this. And, and this verse gets quoted a lot. But they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. They were not afraid to die. Or they will not be because this is talking about the tribulation. Those, these are they that it's, talk, it's talking about in Revelation they shall overcome Satan by the blood of Jesus and by the word of their testimony. This, you know what? This is the same power. This power is the same power that you and I have right now. It's the same power. We have that power right now. God's word promises that we will receive power to be witnesses about God when we receive the Holy Ghost. Do you have the Holy Ghost? Do you have the Holy Ghost? Acts 
But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the farthest parts of the earth. There is no greater power than Holy Ghost power. Let me say that again. There is no greater power than Holy Ghost power. Woo! First Peter 3.15 says, But set Christ apart as Lord in your hearts, and always be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks about the hope you possess. You possess a hope that people need. People need to hear this. Do you have a ready answer for the hope that is in you? You know, most people would agree that a life that's been radically changed and this is what I was talking about earlier, is the greatest testimony of all. One radically changed life can be the means by which a whole city can be changed. The Samaritan woman, she was so radically changed that the masses gathered and said, tell us about this power. That should be your testimony. But maybe this is your story. Maybe, maybe you were born into a family of believers and you received the gift of the Holy Ghost at a young age. And so you've never lived a life that is defined by rebellion or sin or the depravity of this world. Maybe that's been your life. And so perhaps you don't have the scars. You don't have the deep wounds, the bitterness, the anger the hurt and the hang-ups that many people have. And people might say, well, why is your life so different? Why are you so different? And you might tell them, oh, but by the grace of God, by the grace of God, I was raised to understand the goodness of God from an early age. Mm. And I've never tried, tried to find life apart from him. Oh, but by the grace of God, you might say it's not that I'm better than others. It's truly only by the grace of God at work in me. I have a tremendous peace and joy in my life. Let me show you how you can experience that same peace and joy in your life too. That's a powerful testimony. So what am I saying? I'm saying that if you've been in the world... And now you're, now you belong to him. That's a powerful testimony. But guess what? If you grew up in this, you have a powerful testimony. Absolutely. You don't have to taste the sin and depravity of the world to know how bad it tastes. You don't have to. It's everywhere you look. It's all around us. Oh, it may taste good at first, but it becomes bitter very quickly. What am I saying? You don't have to live a sinful life to have a powerful testimony. Wise men learn more from fools than fools from wise men. Because what fools will never learn from the wisdom of the wise, wise men will learn from the suffering of fools. And you know what? It comes down to this. And if we don't get anything else right, we've got to get this right. John 3.3 3 says this. I'm sure you're familiar with the verse. Jesus answered and said unto him, he was speaking with Nicodemus. He said, verily, verily, I say unto thee, 
except a man be born again, he cannot, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You must be born again. Please understand that when you're telling your story, God is leading these people to repentance. Be patient. Be patient toward them as God is patient toward you. But that all should come to repentance. So I'll leave you with this. There is unquestionable, unquestionable power in your testimony that comes from the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8 declares that. Tell your story. Be passionate about it. You have a love to share. Be obedient to the leading of the Holy Spirit and let your life be a witness. And in so doing, you will bless and encourage others. You will open the door to share the good news of Jesus. Oh, pray with me. God, I pray that we would all understand, God, not only the power of your name and your blood, oh, and the authority of your word, but that we would understand the supernatural impact that our testimony has on others. Help us to go deeper, God, to boldly share that good news in these last days. May we be encouraged as we anticipate the blessed hope of your second coming. Oh, in Jesus' name, we thank you, God. We praise you and we honor you tonight. Oh, God, help us to be sensitive to your leading, God. We praise you. We honor you. We give you all the glory that you deserve. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name. Well, before we, you leave, please take a moment to tell somebody, I have powerful testimony.